1: I'm so glad to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show. Where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. We got so many questions about how to help kids and teens set up great money habits. And I've got some new news on that front. Also, this whole subscription thing, where you basically rent stuff instead of own it, from clothes to cars to who knows what it's a thing and I want to talk about how that can just end up like a pickpocket in your wallet over and over and over again we got to talk this through so kids and money is so complicated now I mean it's so different than it used to be because in the old days. Like 15 years ago and prior, how did kids get money? They got this thing called cash. You had so much cash, it would dwindle right before your eyes. And then, if you were not good at being a good steward of that cash, it would vanish, right? And if you were good with it, you would build it over time. But today, the fact that any of us can take a watch and pay for something, zap, or a phone, pay for it, or pull out plastic or whatever, this erosion of the physicality of money has made it much more difficult to teach kids the whole idea of spending versus saving and seeing the direct logical consequences when somebody does tap to pay with a watch or a phone, you don't feel it. You don't see that there's a dwindling resource there. And so this has become a much harder challenge to teach the idea of saving versus spending to a young child all the way through high school and then into young adulthood. So I have been reluctantly approaching this in a new way. And this has been hard for me. And if you've been a longtime listener, you know that how is it that I try to get somebody who has a real spending problem to break that spending problem? I tell them to go to cash, not a debit card, to cash. And I've found in years past, talking with couples who've had an uncontrollable spending problem, a never-ending spending problem, that when they go to cash, that things change, that it does in fact, this is going to sound touchy-feely, but it changes their relationship with money, and their spending goes down a lot. The problem is, is that kids are growing up in an era where we talked the other day about there are so many places that won't even take cash. You have to pay electronically or with plastic. Our kids are growing up in an era where they're, they're being wired that money is a bottomless, endless supply, which it's not. So something Krista and I have debated over the years are these spending cards that tie in directly with parental controls. And usually they have uh, pretty substantial fees, that you have to pay but then as a parent you can control where the money is spent how much money is spent you get notified depends on how much of a helicopter parent you are you can get continuous notices every time the the uh, payment card is used and that is that has been the marketplace answer to this with fees attached well now for people who have accounts with Chase And Chase is using this as a way to capture more accounts and to try to get kids loyal to Chase from a very young age. And then the thinking is that when a kid establishes his or her first banking arrangement or connection or credit union arrangement, that they stay with that for decades. My wife got her first credit card from a credit union 30 some odd years ago, maybe longer than that. And it's not really that good a card. But she has stayed loyal to it all through the years because they were the first ones that would give her a card. And so I think that's probably part of what's behind the new Chase product that is called First. So First has parental controls. As best I could tell looking at the terms for it, It does not include the ability to blacklist certain retail categories so that a kid can't spend any money in those. But you as a parent can have whatever level of notifications you want on what your kid is spending. And it gives you the ability to go over with your kid and teach when your child is like getting out of control with spending. Because you know you can sit down, you can talk about it. So this is a potential alternative. The best part is it's free, but you have to be a Chase customer in order to use it. So it is another potential tool in the toolbox in a much more difficult era to teach your kids about spending. Krista?
0: Okay, Leslie in Arizona says, I recently listened to one of your episodes and have now officially deactivated Zelle. Yay. Big Bad Zell out of your life. Hooray. Thank you for the information regarding the issues there. I have two teens and my 16 year old would like a way to send and receive cash between friends, paying someone back for lunch, etc. And cash is not an option. Apparently what is the best and safest way for a teen to do that these days?
1: Right now, I should say very quickly, if you never heard me, Big Bad Zell is such trash. You should not use Zelle. The banks have it embedded in accounts, and it is far more dangerous to you than the alternatives that I'm going to say that are not exceedingly safe, but they're less dangerous than Zelle, and that's Cash App and Venmo. Cash App and Venmo work when you're using them just to pay family or friends only. Family or friends, don't pay businesses, don't pay strangers, nothing like that. Just family or friends, and with a youth account, they're not going to have a lot of money in there. Any money you have potentially could be at risk, but if they're only using Venmo or Cash App to, uh, if they're splitting a meal with a friend or whatever they, anything like that, then they're just fine. With Cash App or Venmo. Remember, no Zelle ever. The banks promised consumer protections on Zelle in January, that they would go into effect in January. It's now August. These still don't exist, and the banks have gone radio silent on offering any consumer protections on Zelle. They just don't care.
0: Barbara in Ohio says, are electric tankless water heaters a good financial investment?
1: I love a tankless water heater. They are great, especially for anybody who travels a lot for work or for fun, people who live in a place seasonally. Are you going to save money if you don't fit those categories? I've never been able to find math that proves that the higher cost of a tankless water heater will pay off in savings for someone who lives in the same dwelling all year long and doesn't travel a lot. So for the right situation, I'm a big fan of tankless water heaters.
0: Joey in Georgia says, My daughter will be starting her final year of college this fall, and we wanted her to apply for her own credit card. She's been an authorized user on one of my cards since 2020 and has also had an account with the electric company to pay the power bill for her apartment last year. Per your recommendation, and because she's a Swifty, she applied for the Quicksilver student card from Capital One, and she was declined. I had her create a Credit Karma account to see if she had other accounts open in her name that we didn't know about, but that was not the case. Her credit score was 772. Why would they decline her?
1: So, Joey, the reason they declined her is, as a college student, she can get cards without a source of income, typically. But they have to be a college student card. If you applied for, you applied for, oh, it was the Quicksilver student. Huh. I have no idea then. That's very odd because that's exactly what she should have applied for is a student version of a card. And Capital One has to provide an explanation about why they declined. I'm not sure that the explanation they would give would teach you anything or tell you anything. The card that I might recommend is the Discover card, student card. People have had great success getting that one. And also at Credit Karma, they will be able to tell her which cards she has a very high percentage chance of being approved for. So I'm puzzled because you've done everything by the book. She's got a 772 score. She is of age. She is a college student, which makes you eligible for a college student card. And so this is a total confusing mystery to me.
0: Susie in Arizona says, I love you guys. Thanks for all you do to keep us Clark smart. I'm an Aura ring user. I've heard Clark talk about losing his free membership if he gets a new ring. Here's some info from the Aura website, and I hope this makes Clark happy. So this is from the website. What is a lifetime membership? If you have a lifetime membership, your Aura membership remains free as long as you keep the same active Aura account. Gen 2 owners who upgraded to a Gen 3 ring within the promotional period were upgraded to a lifetime membership. There currently is no option to purchase or upgrade a lifetime membership. The regular Aura membership is available to all Gen 3 members. If I have a lifetime membership and purchase another ring, will I keep my lifetime membership? Yes. The Aura membership is tied to your Aura account, not your Aura ring. If you currently have active monthly Aura membership or a lifetime membership, that same membership will continue once you sync the same Aura account to a new Gen 3 ring.
1: So w- when this ring dies or they come up with something newer and fancier and I I decide I got to have it, I'm still going to be free. Is what Still free. You know, it's funny because we talk about this, how many things you buy um electronics hardware. And then later on, they mess with you like we were talking the other day about Google with the Nest security system. So that's actually great news yes. for me. Do you know there's now uh, like half a dozen competitors of the Aura Ring? Because a ring is apparently a superior device to something you wear on your wrist or your iPhone or Android to be able to track your health and wellness that the ring is tracking, except when you have it in a charger, around the clock every day of the year. And I love this thing. It was expensive. I mean, I replaced a $12 wedding band with a $299 Aura ring. O-U-R-A ring, if you're curious what I'm talking about. We're going to talk about something else straight ahead. And that's people who are renting stuff that they should be buying new or used or subscribing to things instead of paying for things. We're going to talk about that. This podcast is devoted to the way things have become versus the way they were for such a long time that the choices we have to make become more difficult. Earlier I was talking about money and how People don't use physical money anymore and how hard it is to control our spending. Well, here's another facet of that, and it's all these things we can subscribe to and how subscriptions have become really the Trojan horse that eats up our wallet month after month. And there are things we're subscribing to that seem on an individual subscription charge seem reasonable or a deal but then you add them up over time and they're causing a big hole in so many people's budgets and then there are things that are really out there renting clothes purses renting fashion accessories and then remember when subscription meal services were a big thing there was a lot of Investor money that poured into this, this was going to be the next great thing. And it turned out that it was really a bust, that that was not something that was practical in many people's lives. That when they realized how much money they were spending on subscription meal services, it was cost prohibitive. And so some things are just so clearly out there. Renting sunglasses? I mean, come on. The idea of renting clothes just blows my mind. And then there are other things that make perfect sense. Let's talk about music. It's important to talk about it since Spotify just raised its monthly price. And then all the streaming video services have been raising prices. The choice you can make is to downgrade how you get your music, how you get your video having subscription for these things makes sense, but how much of our budget we're devoting to these things does not make sense when there's things both getting more expensive and with options that are less expensive at the same time. So there are so many sources for music, but most of us think of it as a two-horse race. We think of it as Spotify, Spotify, And Apple Music. But the reality is, there are far, far more choices. And among those choices, different price points. My son says this automatically marks me as being hundreds of years old, that I may be the oldest person on earth when I say this. But I use the free version of Pandora Music. Yeah, I know. I listen to commercials and all that. But I do that. And talking about subscriptions. If you're an Amazon Prime member, there's the free Amazon music service you can listen to. And there are various things like that that I'm looking at this as two categories with all the different subscriptions we sign up for. And we don't even realize because we may have card we use for this one, another card we use for that one. We used our checking account for this third one and on like that. We lose track of what we're spending, so it requires a discipline to sit down and figure out where all this money is going. But again, there are subscription services that seemed like a good idea at the time that aren't productive in your life. Get rid of those. Get rid of them. And yes, I know they don't make it as easy to cancel as to sign up. Go through the hassle of canceling. And With things that do make sense in your life, what you're paying for them may not make sense. The more versatile you are, the more you're willing to change old habits and try something better and cheaper, we'll see. The way I said that's not really fair. For me, uh, cheaper is better. (laughs) It may not be as good a thing. As my son says about me listening to ads supported Pandora, but it is for me because it is free. Krista, you are a Spotify in yes, your family?
0: Yes, I always do everything wrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. We, no. Have, we have Spotify family and I like it because- So it's 17 a month now? Yeah, and so everybody has their own account in my family and they can download their playlists and the whole thing. But we are, and I do have Prime, so I really should look at Amazon Prime Music, but
1: Okay. One step uh, that was not that was not a guilt trip I was throwing at. you. I know
0: okay I just feel it. Joseph, I guess got to keep listening just- to you, Clark. Uh, some <laughs> year it's going to all sink in. Joseph in Wisconsin says a few months ago, I rented a car and I denied the insurance. While I was out, the child of a relative damaged the windshield, and it needed to be replaced. I returned the car and filled out the paperwork and gave them the information of the relative who said they would pay for the damages. The car rental company contacted the relative and they made a deal that he would pay over the next few weeks. After a while, the car company contacted me saying they have not been able to get a hold of the relative anymore since they made that deal. They said that if they cannot contact them, I would have to pay for it. To me, they made a deal with this person to pay and accepted it, that it's their responsibility and it's no longer my problem. Am I still responsible if this relative does not pay?
1: So Joseph, I'm the one who has to deliver the bad news. I am really sorry. I am stunned that the car rental agency was even willing to do what they were willing to do and the relative now has let you down. So the car rentals company's contract was with you. And so you are the responsible party even though it was a relative that damaged it. The way this works and the law is really goofy. You have to pay them, and they were just being kind and accommodating by saying, yeah, we'll take the money from your relative, but normally you would have to pay the car rental company and then you would have to go seek the money from the relative, and it looks like that's what you're going to have to do in this case because the relative who said they'd pay for the replacement of the windshield damaged by their child is now welching on it thinking the problem will go away all they did was transfer the obligation the cost and the hassle back to you so as gently as you can because I know you're frustrated and angry you've got to go to this relative and say um what's the deal here I've got to pay this since you're not paying it and uh see what accommodation you can reach, but in any situation, the obligation is with the individual who opened an account. Let me give another example. If a couple gets divorced and they agree in the divorce agreement that, okay, I'm going to pay that bill, but the bill was originally her bill and I don't pay it, who do they go to? They don't go to me, the credit card company goes to her because that's the way it works is the liability stays with the person who the original contract was with. In this case, unfortunately with this car, you. Good luck with the family dynamic and I hope that your relative will in fact own up and take responsibility. What they've said they would do and what they've done are two different things So you're likely going to need to go ahead and pay for this and then try to get reimbursement from the relative.
0: Ingrid in Georgia says, what are your thoughts on those warranties that are offered with everything you buy now? They normally offer one or two-year protection. Based I love on the, that
1: word, protection. Yeah,
0: based on the product, I've been offered warranties on everything from my laptop to wireless earbuds to my air fryer. <laughs> are they worth it? There is also usually a limited warranty for the product anyway.
1: Ingrid, the answer is no, they are not worth it. You should not buy them. I cannot think of an exception. I make a joke about when you're in an electronic store and you're buying a TV and they say, don't you want to protect your investment? TV is not an investment. When you buy stuff, it should, as you said, come with some level of manufacturer's warranty. Depending on what credit cards you have, a credit card may double the manufacturer's warranty, and then you've got that double protection for free just with using that particular credit card to make your purchases. Retailers push them. I I saw one not too long ago that shocked me. Uh, extended warranty on tennis shoes.
0: Yeah, I've seen that. Like certain retailers, they come up for almost everything.
1: So the answer is (laughs) no thank you, no thank you, no thank you, always. You add up the cost of all these things, they're a total waste of money. In fact, I can tell you that the last time I saw data on this, the payback for every dollar a consumer pays on purchases for extended warranties the payback is eight cents in other words the average amount of loss you take is 92 cents of every dollar you pay now we'll hear from people who say how wrong I am that hey I bought this that or the other it croaked out a warranty and I got a new one or they fixed it or whatever so see the warranty really worked out for me but that's looking linearly Instead of big picture, as you painted, all the different things that they try to push warranties on or extended service contracts or whatever they call them, you don't want them, don't buy them, you're better off being your own insurance company for the occasional item that does croak on you.
0: Bill in Connecticut says, I know Clark doesn't endorse products or services, but often speaks about positive experiences he's had. I would love to see an area on the website with something along the lines of Clark has had good luck with as this would be valuable to us listeners. The reason I mention it is I'm a shaving blade saver, thanks to previous teaching from Clark, but I do recall him mentioning an electric razor that he had good luck with. Any chance Clark could mention that again, please? Also, thanks to Clark and the team for the work they do for the benefit of all of us.
1: Well, thank you very much for that. So the electric razor I'm using is one I got at Walmart for $28. It is a low-end Norelco, I can't use it for the days I'm on television because it doesn't shave quite close enough, but it was only $28. And for a typical day running around, if I'm not on TV, it works just fine for me. And it's so quick. I mean, it is so quick. You just, and uh, you hear that buzz and like, feels like eight to 12 seconds later, I'm done. Now, if I missed a spot here or there or whatever? Yes. Is it as close a shave as a manual razor? I guess they call it a wet razor, a blade. No, it's not as close as a blade, at least not a $28 one. But it's worked really well for me as for the idea of putting up things that I really love. It would be a slippery slope because people might think I'm being paid to endorse something and one of the key things is i'm unbought and unbossed i've never done an endorsement in my life that's where you get paid to say this is so great i don't do that and so we'd have to be careful very careful and uh, really thoughtful about how we would ever do something where there's like a clark hall of fame next to the clark hall of shame so
0: all the content we write is individually written On the website and you are interviewed for a lot of the content and that is definitely written in a vacuum by our editorial team and all the great writers we have. So
1: yeah, there is not, I know it's a big problem in the internet advice world is people writing what seem like advice columns, but they are bought and paid for advertorials. That ain't ever going to happen at Clark.com. That will never happen at Clark Deals. It will never be a deal posted at Clark Deals that is one that somebody paid us to say, yeah, this is the best
0: deal ever on an air fryer. Right. Uh-uh. We have affiliate links, but the way it works on our site, which is how most sites make money, is all the content is written in a vacuum. And then we have a team of people that go in after And they'll put in, if there is a link available, like that's an affiliate link, they will put that in there. But our editorial team has no idea what relationships we might have. And that's never, ever, ever a part of our process.
1: Because the thing is, we only have credibility if you know you can trust the content you're getting from us at any source, whether it's something you see me do on TV or a commentary you hear me on radio with or my newspaper column, or our websites, or our newsletters, or our podcast video or audio, the idea is we've got one thing, and that's trust, and that's a currency. That is so important to me is that you be served and served well with information you can trust. You may not agree with our opinion, but that's different than us being paid to be a mouthpiece for someone and that is a never never not ever line that we will not cross got my word on that and i hope you've enjoyed today's episode and if you go look at something on clark.com you'll read how we write that it is uh our writers research on that topic and how he or she feels based on the research they've done, that they are giving you the best guidance for your wallet with everything you ever see posted. Have a great day.